0: Welcome listeners to the BHL podcast series. I'm your host Scott Heidner and uh, we are here today in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona with a couple of guests from the Cactus League, the spring training league for Major League Baseball. With us today we've got Jeff Meyer the president of the Cactus League, and Andy Bagnato with Bagnato Flipson Communications, which is the uh, press and marketing and PR firm that the Cactus League contracts with to handle their business down here in Scottsdale. Gentlemen, thanks to both of you for being here.
1: Thanks for coming down. Thanks for having us, Scott.
0: Absolutely. We've been looking forward to this one for a long time. I'm a a baseball geek from the word go, so this is going to be, this is awesome. I've been counting down the days. Before we go any farther, I also want to give a shout out, not only in beautiful Scottsdale here in mid-June, but specifically we're at the Talking Stick Resort, which is just a gorgeous property I had the chance to have lunch with Rob McCreary, the hotel director today, and he's graciously put us up in a private spot here to do the podcast. So, truly VIP treatment, fellas. Jeff, thanks for helping set that up. You're welcome. 14th floor is beautiful up here at Orange Sky. It is, yeah. And for a lot of our listeners are back in the Midwest, uh, things you never think about. We were talking before the podcast uh, great place to see the sunset, but also, uh, Rob told us, a great place to see the dust storms when they come in.
2: <laughs> Hopefully we don't have those too often, but right. we know we're in season.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know that we've had the big dust storms in Kansas for a very long time now. Anyway, well, glad to be here, fellas. Thanks for making time. Uh, we want to learn a lot about you today and a lot about the Cactus League. What it does for the community talk a little baseball history all of that stuff but let's start off with a little personal history let's find out your backgrounds and where you're from and the journey that led you to where you are now jeff let's start with you where was uh where was home as a young boy
2: uh born and raised uh fargo north dakota um big twins fan growing up Thirty years in fact uh, i was born in 1961 in the same year as the franchise started so i've been a follower for my life my whole life and uh, Fell in love with baseball, playing the game, of course, back in North Dakota with Pee Wee Champs as a a teenager. And, uh, you know, when I moved down here to Arizona in the the late 70s, I loved to be involved in 10 spring training games here in the Cactus League. So it's been a lot of fun.
0: That's awesome. We mentioned this earlier at lunch, but uh, one of my childhood memories, I still have the scars of your twins, the Rod Carew-era Tony Oliva twins coming in, beating my royal like a rented mule, on a regular basis uh but good american league central competition yeah a lot of fun listening to those games yeah as a kid growing up for sure
1: no doubt andy what about you well i was uh, born in pittsburgh and i'm a pirate fan from day one we didn't have a, a we moved out here in the early 70s and we had the uh, san francisco giants triple a f- uh, team the, uh, the phoenix giants so used to watch those guys um, and was a fan of that team but your, your first love is whatever your Sort of father ingrains in you. So I'm a pirate fan. Uh, I think you can actually see my childhood home from where we are right now. Uh, it's about a mile and a half away here at Pima Road in Indian School, and um, I will tell you, Scott. I mean, the, the, it's a different world than than what the reservation was like. You know, we're on the Salt River Pima Reservation. When I was a kid, it was basically crop dusters and cotton fields. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's a different world now.
0: Well, our listeners don't get the benefit of the video, yeah. but we're all looking out the window right now, and uh, most definitely a very different world than that today. Yeah, yeah. Well, Andy, tell us about the the journey. Then you were born here, but didn't spend your entire childhood here, and you had a career, um, parts of which were directly involved with baseball, parts of
1: which were not. Give us the the four one one on your sure. journey. Sure. The quick story is I graduated from high school here in uh, 1981, uh, Scottsdale High, which Jeff's uh, beautiful wife, Allison, actually uh, went to Scottsdale High as well. There's not a lot of us left. The school closed in 83. I went to Northwestern, uh, trained to be a journalist there, and then I became a sports writer at the Chicago Tribune uh, fairly soon out of college, and I covered the Cubs and the White Sox in the late 80s, early 90s. And so I was really fortunate to come home to spring training. I had grown up going to the games as a kid, and now I'm back covering the Cubs at Hohokam Park. And Dwight Patterson was one of the uh, really giants of the Cactus League. Wouldn't you say, Jeff? I mean, founder truly the founder of the cactus league and he was worked with the mesa uh hoho cams who are a great civic organization so um yeah i I was a baseball writer and then i got a little i love baseball so much that i didn't want to cover it anymore (laughs) and so um i sort of branched out into college football and got back home in 2003 and decided that uh Journalism was uh, I'd had I would had a good career, but I wanted to do something else and my partner and I formed a Consulting firm and we're so thrilled to have the Cactus League as one of our clients. It's it's truly an, an Arizona institution a treasure whatever you want to call it and we're so fortunate to have it here in town
0: yeah that's awesome you know we haven't talked about this before andy but your time working as a sports writer in chicago had to have been right in the heart of the wgn phenomenon where the chicago teams became infinitely. cubs have always been kind of a national favorite but both teams really their popularity blew up with that fresh tv
1: coverage you know them and the braves the only ones being shown regularly well it's funny you say that because my grandmother was a pirate fan lived uh, also within view of this building in uh, scottsdale and when i was a kid a lot of times my parents both worked so i would go to grandma's house to and the cubs games were on in the afternoon we had nothing to do with the cubs and yet i i remember wrigley field in the 70s like i grew up there yeah because you're right and they and they have certainly the cubs have a national following yeah. because of that. There well, they didn't no have lights yet, though, right? They had no lights, <laughs> and so there was little yeah. ne'er do wells like me all over the country <laughs> tuning in on WGM. <laughs> there you go, Bill Buckner. In fact, we were just talking about Bill Buckner, um, rest his soul. But you know, that's the that's that era of Cubs baseball.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, what a what a coup! I don't know the you know the marketing the business behind that, but you know TBS and WGN both for the Atlanta and the Chicago markets. What a coup that was! Well, back on course here, Jeff. What about you? Uh, so grew up you know up north. What was the the path between there and here? Whether it was baseball related or not, what uh, what was your life's journey?
2: Well, I uh, after graduating from high school in Fargo, uh, uh, attended ASU here locally. Arizona State and my parents actually moved to McCormick Ranch, which is also within view here of uh, the, the uh, 15th floor here, and uh, um, got involved in some uh, charitable organizations here. Uh, Dream Game was an event, uh, uh, besides attending games, early 90s, I had exposure to uh, uh, it, was an uh, event put on for the Phoenix Memorial Hospitals here locally, and uh, uh, saw a lot of stars that I, you know, was that uh, played the game when I was growing up and had the opportunity to meet a lot of them and and, a passion for baseball. And So as that uh, propelled uh, into the early 90s, uh, I was fortunate to become part of a civic group here called the Scottsdale Charos in the mid-90s, and they happened to be uh, the supporters and the... um, uh, working with the city of Scottsdale, the liaison between the city and the San Francisco Giants. So we've hosted the Giants here in Scottsdale since 1982, and I've been fortunate enough to have been part of that since about 1996 here. And uh, with that happening, just the the passion for baseball and, and uh, my role in, in, uh, is the Charos. Is I represent the Scottsdale Charos in, in sitting on the Cactus League board. And uh, so uh, 2000, so it's been 18, 19 years since of. uh participate on the Cactus League board, and then uh, I was honored to become president about three years ago.
0: So. Yeah. Is there a term to being president? or
2: It's a two-year term, mm-hmm. um, so I'm in my second term of two years, uh, two-year term, and uh, so I've got, about, I've got one more season left in me in, as president. So Do they term limit you out after they do, that? They <laughs> do, They so, uh, so I'm termed out, so oh. but, but it's been a lot of fun to be part of this, and as Andy mentioned, the passion that we have here in the community for baseball, and uh, we've been fortunate the last uh, six of the last seven years and our, our tenants here at the level were a little over one point seven million fans for for the uh, ten facilities that we have here in the valley re- representing by represented by fifteen teams so uh, it's been a lot of fun to have this uh, every march our so to speak our own Super Bowl that we have here um, no no the
1: March. So, yeah. By we, the w- by, the way, I want to jump in as his PR person. Jeff's not telling you the whole story. He's a member of the Scottsdale History Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, he hates to admit that, but he was just <laughs> inducted into that. It's uh, it's really it was quite an honor, I think. And and uh, anyway, his work in the Cactus League was a huge part of what made him, uh, what makes him. Uh, such a, a bedrock of this uh, the community so he is a hall of famer uh, Scott. yeah no <laughs> doubt well
0: thanks andy for bringing that up but uh. it is a cool thing just from what you guys are telling me about for the podcast you know it sounds like basically that's a spot for people that have spent more time helping others than they have themselves so that is a cool deal and on that uh we're going to get in a little later in the podcast. You know, everybody in America pretty much knows about spring training and the fun aspect of it. But we'll talk a little later about what it means for the economy and philanthropy and the opportunities and the jobs it creates and stuff like that too. It's a, it's a, the story is even more beautiful than it is at face value to most of America. But before we do, um, a little bit of spring training history for our listeners out there. I'm a, a baseball junkie, but also did some research and poking around coming into this. So spring training history started in the 1890s, pretty common by 1910, mostly in Hot Springs, Arkansas. But a couple of fascinating things that I read about on there that I wanted at least bring up today, and you can comment if you want to, but you certainly don't have to. One, they talk a lot about how because spring training statistics and other things aren't documented and archived or haven't been uh, nearly as fastidiously as they are in regular baseball, how much magic there is here that is often lost. And one of the things they talked about was Babe Ruth allegedly had never done anything but pitch and had to play first base in a spring training game on just an emergency basis when somebody got hurt. Uh, hit two home runs, one of which allegedly traveled 573 feet, and changed the course of history. Never went back. And I bet you guys see a lot of amazing things here that sort of a must-be-present-to-win kind of deal. You know, they won't be archived or filmed or or known to posterity, but you guys get to be a part of it.
1: No doubt. Well, just actually, uh, Jeff, wasn't it right here at Talking Stick? We saw uh, Shohei Otani. Yes. I believe it was his, if it wasn't his first major league at bat in spring training, it yeah. was the first week, certainly. And, um, last year. It was last year, and it was a really cool thing. Exactly what you're talking about. No doubt. And we were, what, not too far away. That's the wonderful thing about spring training is the intimacy of it. It is. Yeah, we come down
0: every year for games, and you can buy, you know, from a price perspective, you can buy pretty modest tickets and just almost reach over and shake hands with folks out there. Uh, That is awesome. I'm just green with envy that you guys get to live those kinds of moments here. And in some ways, it's almost a more precious exposure than Major League Baseball again because Major League Baseball, those moments are captured. For posterity and they're relived but what a lot of what you guys see is is observed once and cherished and gone forever which I think is pretty cool one of the other spring training history stories I wanted to bring up and I did not know this and I think this is awesome so Florida became the default destination for spring training certainly in the 40s and Bill Veck the owner had his team down there and they were still segregated, and he went over to uh, a seating area that was supposed to be reserved only for people of color and sat down, engaged in a conversation, and it created a huge to-do. The law came over, threatened to arrest him, whatever, and Bill Veck, who was a pretty animated and colorful figure in baseball history, mostly known for his his tricks and novelty and whatever, was disgusted and largely led him to come to Arizona and say I'm not going to support those policies and that was a huge part of the birth of the Cactus League.
2: Ironically that was the same year Jackie Robinson uh, came out too um, playing for the Dodgers. Um, 1947 uh, was his first season and broke the color barrier that year and and, uh, that was the first year the Cactus League formed. Uh, It would have been the the, uh, March before that. so. Um, very interesting. We hit both the Indians and the Giants for the
0: two teams you're playing in Arizona in at the time, starting yeah. the Cactus League. That's awesome. Well, that's a that's another beautiful piece of the history of the league. I mean, that's something to be proud of. You know, born born out of somebody doing the right thing, which is really cool. And then obviously, as you know, just exploded in the years since then into what it is now. But some of that history, I just thought was awesome. Well, let's shift gears for a minute. I said we were going to talk about this earlier. Uh, Talk to me about what the league means for the community, both in terms of the economic impact and the jobs created, but also some of the things it does in partnership with the community, Um, some of the awareness campaigns, the fundraising that it does for philanthropic causes. Uh, It's more than people know. And share with our listeners at least a screenshot of what that is well historically the, the seasons lasted about 30, 30 days and uh
2: um until the last couple of years it, it was you know pretty much the pe- period of the month of march and uh there's been some changes in uh with the uh, collective bargaining agreement where the sh- the uh uh season has shifted forward uh, by about a week so we're looking middle third week of uh, february to the start of the season this last year we had about two hundred and twenty games that we uh played around the valley. That were scheduled, I should say we had about six rainouts this year, the first time we 've been rained out in in the last few years, but uh um, overall the uh, economic impact tremendous with the fifteen teams that we have here we uh, we had a study uh, performed in in two thousand and eighteen um, that by arizona state university um, w p carey school of business that uh uh, projected that we economic impacts about six hundred and forty four million dollars on an annual basis wow so that 's a pretty big number in comparison and um you know to the other events that we hold here in the, in the valley uh we, of course we 've been fortunate we've had the super Bowl here in twenty fifteen and that 's the only event sporting event that's, that 's that's uh outpaced us so to speak from that perspective and uh have uh, been very very fortunate with uh, the other events. you know of course we have the i s m raceway Event that we have here in October, uh, which is about 450 million dollars annually. Uh, we had the Final Four in uh, 2017. Uh, it was 200, or excuse me, 324 million, and of course the National Champ game in 2016 that we hosted here as well for college football uh, in uh, 274 million. So. Uh we're very very fortunate we have the climate we have and the visitors that come in here annually to uh enjoy uh, the community that we
0: have and uh, the weather really is the beautiful backside of sports isn't it the you know people see the glamour and they also see some of the salacious stories but you know on the backside that type of money you know that's jobs yeah. that's tax revenue that goes to help the community that's awesome uh one of the other things that I think is cool about the community down here and spring training Uh, I have done some, uh, let's call it informal research, and while I'm down here, I talk to a lot of the locals about spring training and everything, um, primarily at my favorite spot, perhaps in all of North America, the Fox Cigar Bar in uh, Scottsdale, but in talking to a lot of the folks there that live here about spring training, you know, I say, hey, do you guys dread spring training and the influx of outsiders and you just wait for that to pass over and it's amazing almost to a person all of them are like absolutely not like it's one of the greatest times of year even if you live here you know you get to meet all kinds of interesting people you get to rub shoulders with all these athletes and really again it's anecdotal research but it really paints a picture of a community that's very much in love with what you're doing here with spring training
1: yeah, I, Scott. That's funny you say that because I live across the street. <clears throat> excuse me from talking uh, to, from the Salt River Fields. I'm literally 812 yards from home plate, uh, one house in from Pima Road. And you would think moving. I moved in the year the ballpark opened, and, and uh, you would think that living across the street from a spring training ballpark, where every game. I mean, because we have both the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, so it's every day uh, that it would be a pain, a tremendous. It's actually the opposite. Um, yeah, you don't really want to be on Pima Road at 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock. But uh, this year, I was on my back patio, which we can do in March in the evening, enjoying a, a glass of wine. And I actually, the wind turned, and I could actually hear the announcer saying, now pitching for the Diamondbacks was a night game. And it just kind of made you feel like, it, 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 like you say, it's, it's big-time sports. It's obviously a huge industry, but there's still that feel of intimacy to it uh you know you go to a game at um maryvale where the brewers train and it's an old park and they don't have uh, visitor's facilities so the guys get off the bus from the visiting team and the security blocks an area of the concourse and here comes a major league baseball team with their bags their shower sl- shoes on and their and their cleats in their hands getting ready to play a baseball game uh yeah. it's it's really just a, a cool um they have renovated that a little bit. They have. I mean, and it's a beautiful yeah. renovation. I don't mean, make, but it still has that feeling of of kind of a time when we all sort of, um, uh, we, we like to think of baseball as more innocent than maybe it really is in the real world. Mm-hmm. And you certainly still have that feeling here.
0: Yeah. I think that's well said. And I'm going to sidebar here for a moment. This will get me in trouble with our listeners that, don't have baseball as their favorite sport but I do and I will offer this to I think part I love everything about baseball but part of what I love about it is it is sort of the last gentleman's game still I mean you can take your kids to a ball game baseball game and with very few exceptions there is not one moment of player conduct on the field that you would have to tell your son or your daughter hey I really don't want you to do that when you're out there competing and there aren't many sports you can still say that about and i think it's reflected in the culture of the game and i think it's reflected in the culture of the fans which i would submit to you is probably a reason the community is so receptive uh yeah, i just think baseball fans are are good folks you know, by and large um it has you use the word innocent and and i think it's excellent It. It is the last sport that still hangs on to that vestige of nostalgia and innocence, um, and I think that's probably a big part of why the community. I'm sure you've got your salacious news story every now and then about something that goes on down here, but compared to the other sports? Well, exposing your kids to that, you're absolutely right. I
2: mean, I, it, we talked earlier about Minnesota Twins. Of course, that was my team growing up, but um, the franchise for the uh, Diamondbacks, which basically we started in, in 1995 here with the opening game in 1998. And my son, uh, who uh, I went to the very first game with opening day, we just had 20th anniversary of the Diamondbacks, and we're sitting in the same seats and got, Photograph uh, twenty years later, so it's pretty cool to be part of that experience, and that's just something. Of course, he'll we'll both be able to live with for the rest of our lives. Yeah, absolutely,
1: so it's very, very cool. And so he can fill that seat now. Yeah, <laughs> compared to when he was a little kid. You're talking about me or myself? i am I talking about yourself? Oh, okay. Who <laughs> <very He> <laughs> played <laughs> offensive line? I mean, he oh. is a big kid. Yeah, you know, no Austin. doubt. <laughs> yep.
0: We uh part of the another comment you made, Andy, that I want to come back to for a minute before we move on. You mentioned being on the porch, and the wind hit just right, and you heard that PA announcer. Uh, I know from prior conversations with you guys that you're the same way, but we all fell in love with baseball on radio as opposed to TV, which at the time was just a practical issue. It wasn't on TV, but just hearing you tell that story, I can hear the radio. You know, So often the radio was on, but it was in the background. You'd be doing something. And it was on in the background, and, and just those snippets of hearing a PA announcer, hearing a radio broadcast, or even the commercials you remember. It's just so nostalgic, and I do think it's unique to baseball more than the rest. You guys both fell in love with it on radio, right? Well, Central Time, you know, uh, it's always two years—excuse
2: me, two years, two hours um, ahead in in uh, um, from pacific time and when the twins were playing the a's or the angels i was always you know nine o'clock at night starting those first pitch so Mm -hmm. you know three hour games that was midnight on a school night that was pretty late yeah 10 years old listening to those games but i was there many
0: times i remember having the handheld battery powered radio after bedtime and i'd still have it on under the covers because the royals were playing and (laughs) that usually ended pretty badly but
2: uh fifth (laughs) fifth grade class in fifth grade i was at uh this is 1970, and the uh, Twins and the Orioles were playing game one of the of the Nash- or American League Championship, and uh, I was in the back, and I had the, the uh, <laughs> cord going up through my shirt
0: and, and, <laughs> and listened to the game <laughs> during class, and I got caught, so it was pretty funny. That's <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> That's, that's awesome i gotta well, tell you if i was a school principal i'd have a heck of a hard time punishing a kid yeah <laughs> that that was their worst transgression is trying to make sure you could hear your baseball team in the playoffs well
1: i've got one that's even worse in terms of my academic performance so i scottsville high was uh what jeff um two blocks or three blocks from Scottsdale stadium uh, uh it's there's now a marriott old town suites on the site and um But the Oakland A's were in Scottsdale at that time. They had a very brief time here in Scottsdale. It was actually uh, Ricky Henderson's rookie year. Um, 79? 79. And uh, I had an English teacher named Mr. Doyle. And unfortunately, English class met from 1 to 2. Well, the game started at 110 uh, or 115. So what was I going to do 17? I'm going to the ballgame. Mm-hmm. I was a pretty good student, so I figured I could just cruise, and he wouldn't notice I was there. Well, so and, and personally, I think the fault lies with them for scheduling no, English absolutely. class at that hour. That's no, an
0: egregious
1: miscalculation. No question. But you can kind of get a sense of Scottsville High at that time. We didn't have a lot of afternoon classes, at least I didn't. So I would bug out, and uh, towards the end of the month, Mr. Doyle calls me in and says... Uh, Mr. Magnato, uh notice you've been missing a lot of classes. Is there anything wrong? And I go, no, wh- why? And he goes, well, where have you been? And I said, well, I'm going to the A's games. Uh, yeah, like, I thought this would be, make sense to him. And, and he said, well, here's the problem. You're going to fail. You're going to fail this class. You've missed 16 classes or 17 classes. And uh, here's how you won't fail. You're going to write me a one-page paper on every game. Oh no and way! That's pretty much what turned me into a sports writer. I think uh, I was—I had to produce 17 game stories for Doyle, uh, Mr. Doyle, and I had to go to the library and look up the box scores. There was no internet, so I had to actually go to the public library, find the box scores. That's awesome. And uh, 10 years later, I was in that same press box writing for the Chicago Tribune as a beat writer. So uh, it was one of those cactus league stories that you know—it's embarrassing, but but uh, there's. It's, it's a different world. That, is, that story, though, that is everything that is right in the world. <laughs> my parents didn't think so. <laughs> 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 my parents were thinking I was in English class. <laughs> um, my grandmother was an usher. Jeff, you remember the Lavender Ladies. Yeah. She, she was a f- hospital volunteer across the street from Attilaries. the ballpark. They were the auxiliary and they were the ushers, and I would show up, and, sh- and Grandma would put me in a box seat and say, if anybody who really has the tickets here, get out of here. Yeah. She had no idea I was cutting class. But I was—I was a truant, and my parents had no idea. And then Doyle had to ruin the whole thing. But it's—it is—it's
0: just awesome. I mean, a you—you know, we're not condoning skipping class. There's any young people listening to the podcast. But by God, if you're going to skip class, you know, there there's you. no more noble American reason than that. <laughs> and to have a teacher that could have put you through the washboard and didn't. And furthermore, turned it around into something constructive. It actually led to your passion and your career. That's a great story. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. very, very cool. Um, Speaking of cool stories, so we've really talked about history and we've talked about economic impact and some of the philanthropy, but I want to get into some of the fun stuff. Um, I want to read you some things uh, real quick, and then I want to ask you all a question I'll give you a moment to think about it while I read these. And my question is going to be, at the end of the day, it just is what it is. It's got to be cool to be around so many famous athletes that you enjoy watching here. And so I want to read you a few things. But when I'm done, just tell me some cool stories about folks um, that, that they wouldn't mind, obviously, that you share and the exposure you get from being here. But when we come down every summer I don't know if these are up at all the ballparks but they're up at uh, in surprise where the Royals play there are signs and the backdrop for the sign is just a baseball and then some pretty benign color but they have quotes from famous people about what baseball means and I think I mean they just give me goosebumps every time I read them if you look at them too long I can just almost get teary-eyed if you are truly a baseball lover Uh, Just read you a few of them that I think are awesome. Humphrey Bogart, a hot dog at the ballpark is better than a steak at the Ritz. I think that is awesome. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, Bryant Gumbel, the other sports are just sports. Baseball is a love. And I think that is so true. And then maybe my favorite one, Rogers Hornsby says, People ask me what I do in winter when there's no baseball. I'll tell you what I do. I stare out the window and I wait for spring. I just think that is the coolest
1: thing. Good stuff. Yeah, we, it does. We have some of those on our website. Uh, shameless plug, cactusleague, uh, dot com. There's a sort of a, on the homepage, a lot of, um, uh, There's I think there's a Vin Scully quote in there. Same same exact thing. Sandy Koufax. Too cool. Um, talking about spring training.
0: Well, it's not shameless. Give us the website again.
1: Cactusleague.com.
0: Yeah. And the, are they just right there on the front page? Or you mm-hmm. have
1: to it's right on the front page. It scrolls through. Um, you know, one thing, uh, and Jeff is your guy when it comes to having a, uh, great relationships with famous athletes, uh, but I think one thing that separates baseball out from other sports is training camp doesn't seem like work. It is work. They are working. They are getting in shape. But when you think about it, for the most part, it's in the morning. They're going playing golf in the afternoon. Pro football players are not playing golf in the afternoon after uh, two-a-day practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, hockey players, those camps are grueling. Um, spring training is fun for the players, too. They're and approachable, too. During the month. I yeah, was, and I, I do think that that comes through to the fans mm-hmm. because they're having fun too. Yeah. Uh, the guys who maybe don't have families where the kids are still in school, they're all down here, the the, the wife and the kids are here, they're hanging out at the pool after the games. Uh, so I think the whole atmosphere of it is, it, you know, like Willie Stargill said, he, the umpire doesn't say work ball, he says play ball. And that's what I think Cactus League really uh, captures. There's that's a it.
2: lot of history here in Scottsdale with a pink pony who used to be a – the watering hole for many, many years, and a lot of the players would hang out there. And I mean, there's stories about Ty Cobb being in there and Ted Williams, of course. Carly Strumsky back in the early 60s when the Red Sox were training here. And what was cool this year is the Red Sox actually were in town. So after they left here in 1964, they played their first spring training game here against the Cubs at Sloan Park. So actually, Andy and I were at one of the games together. We were fortunate
0: not to get tickets for one of the games, but it was fabulous. Just a uh, and you're right, it's in the blood. So, very, yeah. very, cool. You can't, you know, those signs up there, I mean, that's the best advertising money can buy. I've taken pictures of them over the years, and they're still on my phone. That's where yeah. I went to get them when I was researching this. Not a website. They're on my phone. I mean, I just think they're incredible, and they're free quotes from fellow lovers of baseball, which is pretty awesome. So, for the one ge- more, One oh, more point yeah, there, just real yeah, quick. Yeah, cause I, just, I feel like I mentioned Pink
2: Pony. Don uh, Don Carson just closed uh, Don and Charlie's in downtown Scottsdale, and of course, it's a museum is what he had there for his restaurant many, many years, and so we'll miss uh, that landmark being gone for sure. And yeah, best to Don. He's retiring after many,
0: many years of of uh, having his business there. Early '80s, I think '82 is when he opened up. And for listeners, I didn't know this either till we talked prior. But um, as a restaurant, but it really was just kind of the mecca, right, for where players yes, and umpires and and the memorabilia was museum worthy yeah Yeah, it will be missed for sure yeah well talk to us so for the baseball fans let us geek out a little bit over what you get exposed to and how cool it is talk about some of the the fame down here retired players hall of famers current players whatever you know how casually you bump into them things you see i mean some favorite memories of those kind of things well of course the twins fan i started off the the the
2: podcast talking about uh, my passion for the Minnesota Twins and and uh, um, was fortunate to to know Harmon Killebrew in the early 7 or excuse me, in the early 90s and uh, he asked me to uh, join his board of directors in the late 90s so he I was, actually was a resident here in Scottsdale for until his passing and uh, so getting the exposure through him and having the opportunity to meet a lot of other players along the way I mean George Brett for instance oh, I, mean, yeah. I know you're with the Royals passion there um the opportunity to meet uh, George on many occasions, and uh, it was just a lot of fun having that exposure to those players, especially when, you know, idolize them as, as uh, growing up the way I did. So, um, and then over the years, of course, uh, a new generation um, with uh, the players that we have now, but it's uh, it's it's so fun to see the community embrace what we have here and locally and uh, with f- the 15 teams and, and all the different events that
0: we have here on a, on a weekly basis during the month of March. You know, you mentioned Harmon Killebrew lived here till he passed away. Uh, this is This is a genuine question. I don't know the answer for sure, but I think maybe I know what the answer is. Another distinctive part of baseball that I think the other sports lack, I don't hear about NFL or NBA training camps where all of the past players of the team come every year and... You know, I mean, here they're hitting batting practice, and they're around, and I, I don't think, Andy, you've covered sports. Maybe you'd have the best exposure. Well, does that happen as uh, consistently in other sports as it does in baseball?
1: Have you ever been to Bourbonnet, Illinois in July? No. Um, that's where the Bears train. <laughs> Not <laughs> it's yet. It's <laughs> hard to get to. Yeah. Uh, its They go there for a reason. I think a lot of NFL training camps, well, Jeff, I mean, the Cardinals for years when they first moved out here, the football Cardinals um, were trained in Flagstaff, which is heaven on earth, uh, 75 degrees in the summer, 7,000 feet. And then several years ago, they just decided from a, from a competitive standpoint that it would make more sense for them to train out at our beautiful stadium, which has a roof they can train indoors. But it really did change the experience for the fans, because fans would go up to Flagstaff and take in practice and so forth. But I think with spring training, I mean, I, Jeff, there's so many ex-ball players who live here. I mean, Robin Young is a resident of the area. Ferguson Jenkins, those are two guys who went into our league Hall of Fame this year. Um, it seems like many, I don't know what the percentage is, but Arizona's got a huge number. Paul Canerco mm-hmm. um, um, from the White Sox grew up here in Scottsdale, lives here. He has a batting cage in his basement. Um, I'm not sure what he needs it for now, but it's still there, I think. And uh, so... I think it's kind of been a magnet, hasn't it, Jeff? I mean, just in terms of just ballplayers living here, maybe they were with the Angels for two years at the end of their career, got exposed to it. I think having the Diamondbacks here, you know, major league teams now come through. Mm -hmm. You don't have to necessarily – you could be a New York Met and visit here and see what it's like. Well, I went to golf, and this is a golf mecca as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Golf is huge.
0: But you just don't see it in the other sports where all the alumni of those teams come back, you know, for the training camps and stuff like you do here. You mentioned, I have to say, Robin Yount and Hall of Fame used in the same sentence because he just got inducted into the Cactus League Hall of Fame. One of the coolest moments of my life, I went to Cooperstown uh, for the induction of George Brett, of course, Kansas City Royal, hero of mine, but that year's class was George Brett, Robin Yount, Mm -hmm. Nolan Ryan, um, Orlando
1: Cepeda. It was just unbelievable there just are no words yeah Yeah. well you know scott you you probably know this from going to games at surprise but it's not uncommon for a lot of the alumni of the teams to have still connections with the teams and the oakland a's have been one franchise that really i mean they started in kansas city so if that goes back or well philly but uh you go to games at hohokam park and i grew up in the 70s watching those great a's teams uh, with the crazy uniforms and the mustaches and you'll have <laughs> billy Ra- martin <laughs> billy martin yeah uh raleigh finger so you'll be walking down the concourse at hoho which is a very intimate you know place it's not a real large ballpark and there's a a, a, a a table set up folding table and there's blue moon odom vita blue uh raleigh fingers sal bando it's literally like if you're our age um watching baseball cards come to life. Vita Blue was a larger-than-life figure to me as a kid. He's actually my size, which is—or a little—he's not a big guy. He's probably about six foot, a little taller than me. But every time I see him, I literally stop in my tracks that there's Vita Blue. And he still looks like Vita Blue. Yeah. And so you can't have—it's very rare to have that experience, say, on a Tuesday at a Major League ballpark. It's just not—they're not set up for that. Cactus League, that happens every game, every park— uh that that you just have access to these fellas and uh and i've never seen one i don't know about you jeff but everybody's always in a good mood (laughs) during free training well
2: vita blue i mean
1: cy young winner 1971
2: so i'm 10 years old and i can think back as you just mentioned that and introducing people you know to you know here's vita blue and you say that about them they just get pumped up knowing that you even know that they were the cy young winner 1971 absolutely a lot of fun
0: you know where vita blue had a brief pit stop in his career don't you well, he was the Giants. Kansas City. He was Kansas, Kansas City, too. I yes, didn't know that was. For, for just a minute. Didn't last long, but by God, we had him. It's like Harmon The last year of his career, was in Kansas City. Yep, when you were talking about oh. Harmon earlier, I, I thought about him. I'm like, I wonder if we can claim him. Uh, probably <laughs> probably <laughs> not. Bert <Heard, heard> Campanera <laughs> was a Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lou Piniella, of mm-hmm. course. We talked about that earlier. Yeah, all kinds of famous people right before we traded most of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, you mentioned those. Famous people that are there, Andy, every year we come down and uh, the Royals have got some ex-players, signing balls, stuff at a booth. I've got another picture on my phone, true geek that I am. Um, Just off to the side, there was Willie Wilson, center fielder for the Royals for all those years, one of the fastest men to ever play the game. And it is surreal, just sitting there on a folding chair, friendly to everybody. Looks like he could still swipe 50 bags, just like Vita Blue, you know it is it's it's just crazy Ferguson Jenkins another one I'm thinking of as you're talking about it he's
2: yeah. here every single year and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame here this last year for, with us as well so the Cactus League so uh,
0: you know on that note too let's take just a minute um, tell us a little bit Jeff so the Cactus League has its own Hall of Fame um, the Cooperstown of of Scottsdale as it were what can you tell us about that well we, uh, I think
2: we're s- the seventh year and if I'm not mistaken that, that uh, Mesa Historical Museum started the, the uh, Cactus League enshrinement um, and it just kind of came together where it made sense to include this event as part of our luncheon we have every year in February. It's before the season kicks off, it's usually the uh, last three, three years has been the day after President's Day and that's when everybody's reporting here to the, you know, the team's reporting and a uh, uh, great event. We've gotten a lot of community support behind that event. Um, but we're growing it, and uh, we're becoming a player in the community from that perspective and uh, being recognized that uh, the CACS League is you know, here to stay, and we're really building those roots internally with uh, the municipalities and the booster
0: groups that help support us. Yeah, and you told me those folks, they show up when they get inducted. I mean, they're here. It's meaningful to them, which yeah, we had a great, cool. we had Bobby Freeman, the organist for the Diamondbacks,
2: inducted this last year, and uh, Roland Heeman, who also played a role Uh, with the diamondbacks
0: organization for a number of years and in fact he was with the pirates right Mm -hmm. and you know actually let's talk about that for just a minute because when we had this conversation prior to the podcast over lunch today i just think this is the coolest thing ever i mean you think about all the components that makes baseball great and there's the players and there's the game there's everything that goes around it how much time did we spend at lunch today talking about our favorite announcers they're so iconic in baseball and the characters around the game and Cooperstown for all its uh, contributions and beauty primarily players you know there are you know uh, Denny Matthews my Royals announcing heroes in the Hall of Fame there are a few but by and large it's all about the players and we talked about the people you're inducting in the Cactus League and it's players but it's also, you know, press people. It's the guy that sold lemonade, you know, the iconic lemonade salesman, the guy that played the organ at the games. I think that is absolutely awesome because all of those people are contributing something quintessential
1: to what makes the game so cool. Yeah, it's, well, we had uh, Yoshiko um, who was the longtime Cubs Um, clubhouse guy and he would unload the truck in mesa and when i was a writer covering the cubs yosh was your guy because if yosh was pissed at you you had problems it didn't matter (laughs) if the players were mad they came and went they got traded retired yosh was never leaving (laughs) and luckily he liked me um but he was this just treasure and he was it was just a uh, just a wonderful person, and so he's in the Cactus League Hall of Fame. So yeah, you, it it really is. Uh, I think when you say Jeff, sort of a um, I don't know democracy or democrat. It's it's not just superstars you've heard it's of. It's Very egalitarian. It's egalitarian. Um, yeah. I think this New York Giants clubhouse guy who was with them when they came out here. I think he was inducted a few years ago. Um, people who have been essential in keeping the league in Arizona. That's something maybe we could talk about. Jeff certainly knows about uh, Cactus League was under threat a few years ago in terms of uh, with the community support, the new ballparks and, and all that. And Rose Mofford with the governor, she's in the Cactus League Hall of Fame because she led a, an effort to, uh, to keep the, the, the league here. So it, it really is. Actually, it's very interesting because the Cactus League, most people, Scott, who come to Arizona are not, um, they're, they're obviously new, they, they weren't raised here. And they're always blown away by how much history we have in the Valley just in general, but especially the Cactus League. The idea that, you know, these four uh, African-American pioneers who were put in uh, two years ago, Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, Monty Irvin, and Larry Doby, they were breaking a color barrier here just as much as, Jer- uh, as, as, as Jackie was, obviously, in the majors. Uh, so it is a lot of interesting history, and I think the Hall of Fame that we have is, is, does a great job of capturing that. Yeah, I think it's just awesome.
0: It's a great reflection of all the different things that make the game great. Tell us a little bit, Jeff, before we move on. Another, um, I think, common perception of most Americans is spring training happens here and then spring training ends and baseball is over until February when pitchers and catchers report, but there's extended spring training down here and especially the fall league, um, really underappreciated treasures. Fill us in a little bit about what goes on after spring training's over. Well, the, the fall
2: league, uh, actually, I think the first year was 1992, uh, Steve Cobb, uh, who j- actually just retired this last year, and he and I were at his, uh, um, I guess it was a gathering after his end of his career for for many years did a fabulous job of running the Arizona Fall. He was the commissioner of the Fall League. Um they've got I th- believe is it six teams, Andy? correct? Six teams in the Arizona Fall League and the, this this is again going on in the, during during the month of October uh and November and I think this year they're moving in strictly to end at the same time that the World Series will be ending in October uh, moving forward but um, great opportunity to get out a lot of night games played during the during the fall where you can get out and see uh, some of the up-and-coming players uh, we were talking earlier Andy was mentioning in Scottsdale Stadium here uh, f- three or four years back you had you had uh, both Harper and Trout playing in the outfield at the same time so it's pretty amazing to, to have something like that happening here in your backyard no, no doubt those during are in the fall. fall league games yeah. how long does that last uh, usually about six weeks yeah and uh, I'm not sure if they're shortening the
1: season now or... I think they're just pushing it back into mid-September. It's still really hot here in September, so it'll be more night games. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you talk about if you have a fall break there in Kansas City and you're looking for a great place to come and watch baseball, and you got kids who love baseball, uh, the tickets are $7, $9, um, and you could sit anywhere. It's general admission. You sit literally behind the dugout. We had Tim Tebow in the league a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, he signed every autograph uh, five times for everybody. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was here last year, literally a man among boys. Um, and it's the elite prospects. It's not. These are not rehabbing older players. These are the top draft draft picks from this year's draft or maybe one or two years in the minors. Um Huge number of them, Jeff, what is it, 70% go to the majors? I think it is. It's 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 uh, more unusual if a fall leaguer doesn't make the majors than if he does. That's awesome.
2: And they really wanted to see the Arizona Fall League is also supporting uh, more tournament play for youth during that time period as well now during the, during the month, and they want teams from around the nation to come down and uh, not only participate in their games but to go to these fall league games. And interesting fact is that uh, – our commissioner Manfred is actually the very first commissioner in baseball that played little league baseball so that's uh no so he's really really pushing the youth side of the sport and, and the reason to do that is because that's up and coming players you got to have them in the game to be able to, to to build on your product right yeah so
0: that's a pretty cool feature that is that's awesome well i have never made it down for fall league but after visiting with you guys today i think it's probably on my bucket list uh, seven dollar tickets to watch the game's best <laughs> prospect followed by a trip to the fox cigar there bar what uh, what more could an american want
1: well the other thing that's fun about it is that they've really decided okay w- instead of wearing like this the uniforms from the scottsdale scorpions or whatever they're called they they wear their own organization uniforms so you can have a yankee at first base a matt at second base a red Sox at shortstop and it's like watching an all-star game uh there's each team there's six teams like jeff said and each one has five organizations that feed to it and it changes every year so some years my pirates are, are out in peoria some days sometimes they're here across the street yeah and um it is it is it really is for hardcore fans but it's it's baseball uh very accessible and and um just a, a great great time to go out to the ballpark very cool well,
0: talk to us a little bit too, um, Jeff, maybe a better question for you, but whoever has the answer here, talk to us about the interface you have with Major League Baseball. I mean, you've got a lot of autonomy down here, but there's definitely a relationship in place. Well, we've been fortunate to have their
2: support for the, the number of years we've had, and, of course, uh, we're it's their product that's on the field, and we're here as a community to support uh, support that and, and uh, embrace that. Um, and the booster groups, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast of the Scasso Charles, who, who I uh, participate in uh, the past, uh, it's it's just a great opportunity to, um, during the during the month,
0: to, to be part of it. So, mm-hmm. Are you, during the course of spring training itself, let's not talk about the calendar year, during the course of spring training itself, are you in communication with MLB at all or semi-often? We, uh, we're...
2: Hopefully, hopefully, going to have the commissioner here this year to to speak at her lunch, But it unfortunately, another event came up; he was not able to to uh, be there this year. We had it at GCU in February.
0: We're hoping to get him back though next year. He's uh, it's on his calendar. Cool. Do you get? I mean, there's got to be some sort of liaison that goes on, though, isn't there? Surely, uh, a line of communication between the two, or, or yeah, are you Pat. Truly, uh, Pat I Courtney, uh, who uh, works alongside. Uh,
2: the commissioner has been our contact and in mm-hmm. keeping us abreast, and, and uh, um, there's also some participants in the Cactus League membership that uh, are participants of the teams as well that keep us uh, abreast of what's happening in Major League Baseball. So very
0: cool. So even more cool exposure. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, guys, and we'll we'll head towards wrapping up. I've already kept you a, a little longer than I told you we'd probably target today, but. The job being involved in spring training and the different, and you're, you're both coming at it from different rules, but it doesn't take long to see that you both have a lot of genuine passion for it, too. Um, from the outside world, it looks like the coolest job ever, and I'm sure most days it probably is. But talk to us about maybe your favorite thing about the job and being involved, and then maybe one of the more challenging things that the day to day public doesn't see. I would say the people, uh, the exposure to the people and meeting new people
2: is, and uh, the genuine people, even yourself today, coming in from Kansas City and being here and uh, um, seeing an interest in what we do here in the Valley and broadcasting that to, to around the country because we need more people to come and visit Arizona. It helps, uh, our tu- of course, tourism is our number one uh, economy, you know, partic- you know, participation in the economy here. Uh, tourism is, is at the top of the list. So um, I would say that's... That's where I'm at from that respect. Um, Andy, What? Uh
1: well, in terms of good things, I mean, I, I can't think of anything better than on a Tuesday afternoon going to the ballpark and I'm working. Uh, when I was a baseball writer, I had to write something. Now I just have to make sure that we've got Jeff squared away for an interview or whatever. And I've spent a lot of afternoons at ballparks with this guy and... Um, the thing about phoenix is it is a big city it's one of the biggest cities in the country but i don't know jeff i feel during like during spring training that becomes the old phoenix of the 70s where everybody's here for ba- it seems like everybody you meet here for baseball obviously a lot of people aren't but uh it, it just it's it's a great it is when you say it's the best time of year to be in the valley the weather is just unbelievable we're getting ready to head into our siege at some point after that so enjoy it um Kind of like those falls in Kansas City, you know, just gorgeous. So I just think that it's one of those times of year you just wake up with a smile on your face, and it never changes the whole day. Yeah. Boy, the idea of being able to go to the ballpark for your day job <laughs> exactly. has yeah. a lot of appeal. Oh,
0: what, yeah. a, what about challenges? Maybe something that folks don't see. Um, uh, acting as one voice. We're a Cactus League, so, we're
2: again, we represent all the communities. And... Um, the booster groups and of course the teams are, are part of that as well and um we want to do what's best for the community during that period of time and, and uh, uh promote the game Very and good. it it's, gets challenging with you know it's, uh, this last couple of years with the schedule getting moved up uh, by a week on us and it's getting that info, you know that news out to the rest of the country that you know spring training uh, the gates are open here and styles are ready for folks here in third week of February start start traveling to Arizona. So yeah. we're hoping that uh, in Arizona Office of Tourism has been fabulous to work with in that respect. Debbie Johnson over there, uh, the director and. Uh, getting the word out, but we need to continue to push that moving forward. That's
0: usually the most challenging time of year for us is, is filling the seats at the beginning of the season. One man's challenge is another man's treasure. I have mm-hmm. to say the third week of February is a marvelous time to leave my <laughs> beloved Kansas <laughs> and come down to Scottsdale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Andy, what about you? Well, Unique challenge? Uh
1: challenge? I think the hardest thing for us from a PR perspective for the league, part of what Jeff mentioned, is is kind of training people or, or educating them that the Cactus League is an entity. It's not just the Cubs showing up at, and all these teams showing up at the same time. That the Cactus League actually represents the local community. And so uh, w- there are times when you know people will misunderstand our role. They'll ask why we didn't schedule a game at this time. And because we're on the website as the media contacts, we get a lot of random fans who are mad because some ball player left in the fifth inning and didn't get to sign an autograph, and Mm -hmm. what can we do about it? But it's all in good part, uh, and I think the other thing with the media is just a technical thing that you probably don't care about, but they do, is we don't do credentials for the games, and we put that on our website, but sometimes they just miss that. (laughs) And so I get a call from somebody, I'm at Sky Harbor, I need to get a credential for the Giants today, and I have to inform this poor soul that, well, you're going to have to call the Giants, and they get sometimes a little... Not real happy with us that we weren't able to take care of them, but credentialing is handled, and uh, rightly so, by the teams, and they should handle it. It's their ballparks. Yeah, um, especially with security standards. Oh, no, qu- and believe me, we would not want that um, responsibility. It's a ton of work. I've done it with other organizations, but that you know, those are really relatively minor things that, that happen but uh, uh and then rainouts this year we so rarely have them we the phone starts ringing at six seven in the morning from the local tv stations is the game out at mesa call mesa we don't make that oh i thought the cactus league did that no no it's it's mesa that will make that call not us jeff's not at his house in scottsdale looking at the weather reports <laughs> well he might be looking but he's not he's not going to be canceling any games anytime soon right
0: well, that's great. Well, gentlemen, let's. Uh, I hate to. I could just talk for hours and hours about this stuff, but I know we need to, to head towards wrap-up here. We always end our podcast with what we call the lightning round. It's just a few questions. Let our listeners know a little more about you individually. No right or wrong answers. It's kind of like the Rorschach test, whatever comes to your head first. Uh, Andy, we'll start with you. Um, for things not baseball-related, What's your favorite outside hobby or passion that you do away from work?
1: Hiking. Hiking. In fact, I can see numerous trails from this beautiful view up here on the 15th floor. I'm not a good wordsmith, so I can't paint a picture for your listeners, but we are so lucky to have some of the greatest hiking in the, in the world, I think, just right here in Phoenix yeah, and even further up north. And so, yeah, that's where you can find me on a lot of Saturdays when it's not spring training on a trail somewhere in Arizona. Very
0: cool. Jeff?
2: The golf course, the links, for yeah. sure. And In fact, I'm playing this Saturday, and you know, I start thinking about it, and <laughs> I look out the window to the left here, and there's a golf course right there. So uh, we have a lot of great uh, courses here in Arizona, and, and just traveling abroad across the country, just being able to play the games.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I think I don't want to rat anybody out, but I think our gracious host, Rob, today already had to depart in search of a golf game yes, this he afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. Very good. Well, Jeff um, – what Major League Baseball record do you think is least likely to be broken?
2: Hmm. Um, I'm going to have to go with uh, Ricky Henderson and the, the Stills. Mm-hmm.
1: Andy, Still, what do you think? I think Cy Young's victory total is yeah. safe forever. Yeah. It's just the fact that guys aren't getting 20 wins anymore. You know, pitchers don't stick around, and what is he at, Mm 500-something? 300 is probably going to be a rare thing, wouldn't you say, in our lifetime? I mean, it's becoming more and more so. Absolutely.
0: Now, if you look at the leaderboards for active pitchers today. Nobody's even close. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty thin. Uh, Did Sabathia hit 300 already? I think he's. If he's not, he's getting close. Yeah, I think. I can't think of many other active pitchers that are getting close to that area. I think. That's that's a good one. But, Jeff, to your point, too, with Ricky Henderson, people aren't running like they used to. Mm-hmm. I mean, the days of stealing 50 bases are almost yeah. over, let alone 75, 80, 100. Yeah, good choices. Um, all right, last one, baseball-related. Jeff, we'll start with you. You guys don't get to pick anybody from your hometown <laughs> team, so no Twins or no Pirates. Favorite non-hometown team baseball player ever? brooks robinson that's a great choice third baseman yeah. stallion out there no yeah. question about it an opportunity to
2: meet him a number of times over the years and uh, was actually at fantasy cap with him in 2007 so wow yeah it was pretty cool
1: too cool andy uh bob gibson yeah and i'm not a cardinal fan and he actually threw a no-hitter against the pirates the year they won the world series in 71 um he dominated them for years, but I've read a lot about Bob, and maybe became a bigger fan after he retired. Yep, he's remained very active in the Omaha community that he grew up in. If people don't know he played for the Globe Trotters. You're mean, kidding! I didn't I, know that. Absolutely, I'm not kidding. He was such an amazing athlete. He was a prof- he had a contract with the Globe Trotters when he was coming out of or high school, I believe it was. He might have gone to Creighton for a couple of years. He played for the Globe Trotters. He hated it because it wasn't real. Yeah. Uh, but he actually was that good. He could have been, Bob Gibson could have been an NBA player. That may be the coolest thing I learned on my entire trip (laughs) to Arizona, guys. Now, I don't know how long he played for them, but he definitely played with the Globies. You could win some bar bets with that trivia. Well, they used to be based here in Phoenix. But, yeah, Gibson, I just think that performance against the Tigers in this, was it the 68 series, um, will never, you know, whatever, 17 strikeouts. um, Up against Danny McLean. Yep. And yeah. they lo- you know, lost the series of all things. But uh, I just feel like Gibson and just the intimidation and uh, the things he had to put up with as an African-American coming up in his yeah. life, just uh, he's one of the great players in the history of the game. And uh, I've always had a special place for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think Bob Gibson would probably be at least in my top three, if not my number one. And one of the things that I think is fascinating about him, obviously, he, you know, it's – hear about it everywhere probably the most feared pitcher in the game in his day and to see him interviewed now um he's so articulate he's so intelligent and he's so calm you know he just seems like uh, a benign soul you know not this just fiery-eyed competitor, intimidator that he was back in the day, and, and I think that's, that's pretty cool. you know, You, know. I can't see an interview with him and not think no. this can't be the same guy they were talking about. That well,
1: quick spring training story with Gibson. Uh, Tommy Agee got traded from the White Sox to the Mets in whatever the 60s, and Agee was a good leadoff hitter, um, and Gibson said, well, I'm going to welcome Tommy Agee to the National League, and on the first pitch of the first spring training game Mets-Cardinals in St. Pete, he hit him on the helmet. <laughs> And 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 everybody in the Cardinals dugout yelled over to A.G., who's trying to figure out wh- what state he's in. Uh, Welcome to the National League. <laughs> oh, funny. Can you imagine now? Um, yeah, he'd be suspended for a month. You're right, but that's just the way they played back then. Don't be leaning uh, in on my
0: well, plate. Well, this is a whole another topic we don't have time for. But we talk about the pitching records that'll never be, never be broken. Part of the reason the neck will be broken is pitchers can no longer throw more than four inches inside without jeopardizing, you know, a suspension, an interjection, or whatever. But that's a that's a topic for another podcast. Uh, Jeff, one of my other players that would be near the top of my list, uh, your hometown twins, Rod Carew, I think one of the most elegant, effortless hitters I ever got to see. Now, granted, my exposures didn't start probably the mid-70s actually seeing players um so gifted so effortless i mean it wasn't effortless i'm sure but it looked like it stole a lot of home yeah Inverting oh home. yeah in fact you just grabbed
2: your heart and made me think about his heart transplant he just had a couple of years ago yeah i mean he, he uh took a spill on the golf course for a heart attack and uh i think somebody from stanford
1: wasn't it that uh, yes Yep, the former Stanford athlete wasn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm.
0: He was—he was so adaptive. You'd hear coaches say that. Of course, this is before the shifts and everything. But you hear coaches say they really couldn't position players against Rod Carew because he just had the ability to hit it wherever he darn well pleased. And how about his batting stance too? Yeah, yeah fun to watch cool. him. Yeah. 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 Yeah, unique, very cool. Well, gentlemen, uh, part uh, part of me it breaks my heart to see it come to an end because I could talk about this stuff for hours. But I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Jeff Meyer, president of the Cactus League, and Andy Bagnato with Bagnato Flips and Communication, the partners to the Cactus League and all their communications work. You guys have been gracious hosts. You took a lot of time working with me to help set this up to fly down here and make it become a reality and i've enjoyed every minute thank you so much to both of you for being with us today
1: thanks for having us thanks for coming and and uh, we hope all the royals fans who hear this uh will join us next spring and surprise
0: i do too i'll see what i can do to start a caravan fellas (laughs) all right well gentlemen thank you so much for being here and uh, thank you to our bhl podcast listeners for tuning in we'll catch you all in the next episode of the bhl podcast series